Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey everyone, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest, Pat Farnack, who you definitely know if you live in the New York area, as she was a host on WCBS News Radio 88 for something like 20 years. Pat has actually been in broadcasting since her college days when she would hang out at the local radio station hoping for a gig. She got that gig when the afternoon drive-time host quit, and the rest is history. She worked at various <laughs> Pennsylvania radio stations and also in San Francisco, but I think she's best known for those years on the air in New York on WCBS, which has a very wide reach throughout the Northeast United States. Pat retired after 47 years in radio, but she's still on the air, as it turns out, with her health and well-being report that runs on WCBS and is also available as a podcast. So, Pat, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Amy, for asking me. I'm thrilled. So, I loved the incredibly powerful story that you wrote for the 30th anniversary edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's a story that encompasses the ups and downs of your very busy and full life. It's an, a lesson for all of us in returning to your roots, finding grace, restoring relationships. So let's talk about how it all started. Let's, talk, let's start the way the story starts in your, your first marriage, your kind of jet-setter marriage. Yes, yes. I married someone who was in the same business as I. We met cute at a television station where I was a, a TV news anchor, and he was the announcer with this big, deep, gravelly voice. <laughs> and uh, we met there, and it was really one of those um, relationships, sort of made in heaven kind of thing. We both got each other, and um, we were on the same page almost from the beginning. And we really admired each other because we knew what the other was going through in this crazy business <laughs> of, of broadcasting that we were in. So it was perfect in that way. And I really, I have to say that the, the craziest thing about my life actually is because I never thought that anything bad would happen to me. <laughs> I thought that just because I had had a pretty good life with few stumbling blocks, I usually got what I wanted. I was happy in what I did. I Loved going to work every day. I never had a boring day. I found the guy of my dreams. What could go wrong, right? So uh, we were married for a long time, for 19 years, and he started getting sick. He started, first of all, stumbling a little bit. His walk was sort of off. And then his speech was affected, which is not good for somebody who is an announcer by trade. And uh, it just got worse, and he was 
diagnosed with with cancer with a neuroendocrine tumor of unknown origin is what they said. And now apparently you can get a cure. But in those days, 2001, that wasn't possible. And between diagnosis and death was something like six weeks. Wow, that is so fast. What a blow. Yes, yes. And uh, he was 52 when he passed. I was just, I had friends and I had a full life and all of that, but I was so wrapped up in him. It was like we were a universe comprised of two planets. (laughs) That was it. And so it was really hard for me to go on after, after he died. But a couple of really good things came out of it. Believe it or not, one, I got to renew my relationship with my mother, which had been horribly ruptured. I mean, we weren't close at all. And after going through that, and then my father passed shortly thereafter. And after that, we sort of had a reason to come together beyond being just mother and daughter. So that was wonderful. And I also got back to my faith because the church was so helpful when I was struggling after my husband's death. And I never thought I'd get married again, but the happy thing about it is I I met someone who's directly the opposite of my first husband and uh, he's wonderful. I'm happy. I was able to go on with a, a new life almost again. So, Yeah, and you talk in your story about getting back together with your family, and now you have the annual trip to the Outer Banks Beach House. So, yes. So I am fascinated by that whole process of restoring your relationship with your mother and, I guess, by extension with your whole family. Because we talk about forgiveness a lot in Chicken Soup for the Soul Land, and uh, not necessarily forgiveness of any particular bad thing that anybody did, but just the whole idea of accepting people back into your life and shedding whatever resentments or disappointments you might have been carrying around with you. How did you actually pull that off? I, I'm not really sure. <laughs> now that you ask, I had never had a close relationship with my mom. I'm not really sure why. Maybe because I had a real close relationship with my father. And again, my world sort of uh, revolved around one person. And I almost didn't have time for my mother, if that sounds crazy. But she also was not really interested in the trials and tribulations of a broadcast person (laughs) who was living away from home, from living away from the Lehigh Valley and my family and striking out on my own. And she didn't understand it. And she didn't seem to want to understand it. And after my husband died, I decided not only as part of going back to the church, which led me back to my childhood, which was a happy childhood, but, you know, with a mother who was a little remote maybe. But I thought, well, I really need to make this right. And I knew she wasn't going to do it. So I was going to have to do it. And I I was going to have to swallow my pride and say, well, she should be the one. She's the mom. She should be the one making the first step and, and really seeing how I am and what I've gone through. And I put that aside. And once I did, she really responded very positively. So I'm glad. And now we have a great relationship. And and I talk to her regularly. She just called me this morning. 
And uh, it's really nice to be able to do that. I never thought that I would have a close relationship with, with her, and I'm so grateful. I think that's terrific. I think that people sometimes stand on ceremony, you know, like, oh, well, that person should be the one to to start our reconciliation. Or in your case, it wasn't a reconciliation. It was just a strengthening of your relationship. And you can't stand on ceremony. If you have the impulse to do it, then do it. Don't, don't think the other person should go first. You'd think a mother would be the one with that great maternal instinct and all the fuzziness that you expect from a mom. I think mothers can be insecure. I think mothers can be very insecure and think, well, I don't really know. I'm not sure how to reach this child of mine. Maybe my child isn't as interested in me. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm a mom. I have grown children now. But I would say that insecurity is one of the key words to being a mom. <laughs> you're, the whole time you're doing it, you're wondering if you're doing it right. I get that. And she also thought that we wouldn't have anything in common, which is crazy, but I could actually see that. But um, we have books in common, and she's a great reader. And that's also part of what brought us together. And, and then the Outer Banks vacation. And I don't think that my family would have ever gotten together if we hadn't started doing that. And and I'm proud to say that was my idea. And to get them to go along with that initially was a big deal. And now we just like, where are we going this year? What uh, beach house are we renting this year? So it's it's really been fabulous. That's really great and very encouraging for any of our listeners who are thinking about maybe tentatively reaching out and restoring a relationship of their own. Well, we're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then we're going to come back and talk to Pat Farnack some more, because I want to talk about what it's like to do news radio in the biggest market in the country. We're back with Pat Farnack, the voice that everyone in New York City recognizes, (laughs) Pat, what was it like to do news radio for all those decades in New York, the biggest market in the country? Well, it was fantastic. It just, just fantastic. It was a dream job. I mean, I've I've worked before in uh, San Francisco and in Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia for a very long time. I never thought I'd leave it. And I got this dream job and it came out of the blue with somebody I had met 10 years before, a news director who had an opening, called me out of the blue, and I said yes, and came to New York and started. And it's really a a magical station. I mean, things have changed a lot now since the pandemic, I guess, but I have to say that it was so exciting. And I continued to live in the country, and I lived in Washington Crossing, which is across the river from Trenton, New Jersey. And you can pick up Amtrak or New Jersey Transit from Trenton. And it's a very short ride, 50 minutes. And I would be able to get all my reading done, read all the newspapers on my way up, and I'd be ready to go once I got to uh, Manhattan. And it it was just fantastic. I talked to everybody who was anybody. (laughs) And uh, I was able to do a lot of writing and interviewing and just being on the air. I loved it. Well, how early did you have to get to the station? I'm amazed that you could do it from Pennsylvania, basically. 
Oh, I know. I know. I worked different shifts at different times. I started uh, by working in the afternoon. So that was a no brainer. I would just uh, go up late in the morning and uh, work till seven o'clock. And then there was a train. I think there was a 7.30 train PM train. And then I just go home on that. But uh, later I worked middays and I like to get there early too. So I would get up around 4.30 in the morning, catch the 5.45 train. And I worked till two, two o'clock. So I'd just jump on the subway or take a long hike up to Penn Station from Lower Manhattan and uh, go home. It was really great. And I had my buddies on the train that I'd see the same kind of people, the same people uh, every day. So it was ideal. And I didn't, I think it worked for me because I didn't say, oh, what a long commute. This is such a pain. I looked at it as a time to read, time to talk to my friends. So it was a mindset thing more than anything. I can see that. It was time carved out of your day to do relaxing things on the train. And and you didn't have to worry about hair and makeup when you got to work because it was radio. How relaxing is that? Right, right. Although we we did do some video from time to time, but I didn't usually have to worry about that. Thank goodness. (laughs) <laughs> so what was it like when big stories were breaking? Uh, crazy, but fun. I worked during the blackout. What year was that? 2003? And I remember uh, during the, the blackout, everything went. The computers went dead, but we were still on the air. No copy. I was anchoring with uh, Tony Guida at the time. He was a old-time television guy personality. And uh, he was working also at uh, 880 at WCBS. And we were on the air for eight hours without copy, just talking, getting reports from people in the field. It was exciting. Hurricane Sandy was also another highlight uh, of my time there. It was frightening and exciting all at once. Oh my gosh. Right. When all the lights went out in like half of Manhattan. Yes, yes. And uh, I mean, there are no, there were no lights and walking in the dark <laughs> down to the station and you would be able to see our studio was only a little tiny light on the horizon <laughs> and all the rest of lower Manhattan was dark. Yeah, that must have been incredible. I was stuck in L.A. for that. I felt kind of oh. guilty because I was in L.A. <laughs> the weather was perfect. Oh, I bet. And every day I, I was bet. taking walks. I'm in the sun. It's so nice. And then I'm watching TV <laughs> obsessively, though. You know, and also yes. hearing yes. that back at home, the generator that we had spent so much money on for our house, you know, didn't work. So, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so much for that. I, know, I think it took us <laughs> a week. Grand well spent. <laughs> it took us a week. I was on the, the first flight canceled. I think the first American Airlines flight canceled to, you know, from LA to New York. So I just missed getting back. But then I managed, then you had to guess. You had to rebook and you had to guess right. And I guessed right when we were on the first flight back. So at least that happened. You must be living right, Amy. Yeah, I (laughs) I guess so. Yeah, then we came home to no power. I think our neighborhood was out for eight days. And then this crew came down from Canada. And they were walking down the middle of the street because there was no traffic. And they were like, I don't know, conquerors. I took, I took a picture of them. I still have it because they were like superheroes walking down the street wearing their electric utility uniform from some utility in Canada. 
And we were out in the street like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. You know, our heroes. Yes, they were definitely our heroes. So now you are not really totally retired because you're doing the health and well-being report. So how often do you do that and how much time does it take for you? Well, I I have been doing the health and well-being reports for the last, I was going to say 18 years, but actually it's been 20, 22 years. Yeah, 22 years, three of those years in retirement. And my contract with them has just ended and I'm about, I'm, Unfortunately, I can't give too many details, but I'm about to embark on another new exciting project. Oh, so okay. Well, I will stay tuned. Yes, yes. But it's crazy how I don't really feel retired at all. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people say this, but I'm almost busier now than when I was going crazy and working in New York. I know people say when they retire that they have no idea how they ever squeezed an eight-hour-a-day job into their lives. It is so good, though. It is so, so good. (laughs) I would recommend it to anyone. I'm turning green over here, (laughs) but you can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Pat, thank you so much for sharing your story in the 30th anniversary edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I was really excited that you were willing to be a part of that book because I'm really trying to put today's thought leaders in that book. And your, your voice was so important to me for all these decades living in the New York area. So thank you for being part of this new book. And thank you for joining us today on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. And could I just say at the end here that I think you're doing such a great service with these stories because they're important. And I, I think we need hope especially at this time of our lives. I agree with you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening today. And please join me next time. You'll hear from psychiatrist Mark Goulston, who shares the question that can change everything for the people in your life. <music>